shall with joy to the Lord all the earth and worship the Lord with gladness come to him singing with joy oh and enter his gates with thanksgiving come to his courts with praise oh give thanks to him and let praise he is the Lord, He's worthy to be. He is the Lord, He's worthy to be. He is the Lord, He's worthy to be
And we look back on the story and we see how God worked it out. And God looks back on our story and he sees how it's all worked out. The most important thing, family, is that you are trusting in the Lord and committing yourself to the study of his word. So stick with us. Uh, I wish this would have been over by now. I hope it's over in the next month or two. Who knows? But our desire is to keep you safe. And that's why we have this extreme uh, distancing on Sunday mornings. Again, for those of you who don't know, what we are doing at this time is we are rotating our Bible studies through on Sunday mornings. And uh, so that you can be here once every three weeks. And we encourage you to be here if you're not sick or you're not afraid. I get it if you're nervous. It's okay. Just commit. All I'm asking, though, is if, if you're... <clears throat> Just stick with God's word. Stick with our study. You can still fellowship together, even, even on video. And then your Bible study groups, be in contact with them. Some of you are having each week on Zoom or meeting or just stay with your Bible study groups. Keep praying for each other, ministering each other. Um, but next Sunday in this room is going to be John Rowan's class, Connie Rhodes' class, the Pathfinder's class, which is Stephen Lewis's class, uh, Bill Havard's class, uh, the student Bible study leaders will be welcome back. And then Barbara Haley, or the, she gets mad at me for saying that. It's called the Seekers class, which is uh, the Douglas, Haley, uh, anyway, you know who you are. Um, so that's next Sunday. You're invited to be in the room. And uh, then the rest of you online. But I do ask that you please stick with us online and keep the studying going and taking care of each other. Eventually this will end and we'll be able to go back to drinking coffee together in this room and hugging each other's necks and, and, uh, and shaking hands, but just not today. So uh, God is still on his throne. And look, I'm, I'm not going to dog you. you. You may be concerned about COVID. I get it. We've been laughing as a staff because it isn't COVID that's got us unnerved. It's the quarantining if you come in contact with COVID. That's two weeks away from each other. So so we've kind of spread out as staff as well. And we love you and we miss you and we get together and pray for you every week. Please be in touch with us. Be in touch with your Bible study leaders. Let them know what's going on in your life. Uh, pray for each other, but also let us know what's going on in your life because we pray for you too. Thank you for your faithful giving. It has allowed us to increase our mission giving uh, to help our missionaries. This is not an American uh, virus. This is an international virus. And we've been able to send money to Brazil, to Africa, to India, uh, and beyond to support uh, our missionaries who are struggling with food as well as food for their people. So your faithful giving, so keep giving faithfully, and uh, we, I, that's pretty much all the announcements. Is there anything else I need to say this morning? No. Chad says I've said enough. So, but we love you. Thanks for watching online, um, and uh, let me pray and commit our time to the Lord. We're going to have a great time this morning. Jamie Johnson's going to be with us this morning. Some of you know him as a solid Christian country music artist. Um, that's not true. He's not a believer, but we have a song of his. Okay, I'm just going to pray. Father, thank you for this morning, and I thank you that we got little churches, hundreds of them all over the area, actually all over the United States, that are gathering with us this morning around your word and singing songs and listening to the words of those songs. And uh, Father, uh, they're going to study the scriptures with us, and it is our prayer this morning that you would speak to them in a very personal and real way. And I know, Father, there are people scared, discouraged. Some are even mad at you for letting their lives be chaotic as they are. But Lord Jesus, um, you told us this was going to happen, so make us brave, Father. Make us courageous. We commit the rest of this service to you, and we ask you to not just help our eyes to tune in, but help our hearts to tune into your message. And I know that there are parents out there whose children 
uh, are all over their laps and making lots of noise and playing on the floor and it seems distracting, but I pray that even the kids would hear a message from you this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, we commit our time to you and ask you to speak. In your name we pray, amen. As usual, if you're in the room, you're more than welcome to stand and worship with us. If you're at home, we definitely invite you to, to join in. There is strength within the sorrow. There is beauty in our tears. And you meet us in our morning with a love that casts out fear. You are working in our waiting. sanctifying us and beyond our understanding you're teaching us to trust your plans are still to prosper you have not forgotten us you're with us in the fire and the flood. Oh, you are faithful forever. You're perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. You are wisdom unimagined. Who could understand your ways? Reigning high above the heavens, reaching down in endless grace. You're the lifter of the lowly. Passionate and kind. You surround and you uphold me, and your promises are my delight. Your plans are still to prosper, you have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. Oh, you are faithful forever. You're perfect. You are sovereign over us. And even what the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good. You turn it for our good. For your glory, and even in the valley, you are faithful. You're working for our good. You're working for our good, and for your glory. And even what the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good. You turn it for our good, and for your glory. Even in the valley, you 
are faithful. You're working for our good. You're working for our good. And for your glory, your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. Oh, you are faithful forever. You're perfect in love. Oh, you are sovereign over us. And your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. Oh, you are faithful forever. You're perfect in love. Oh, you are sovereign over the God who was and is, by the God who's yet to come, and we remember how you saved, we recall the lost world found, and you were present yesterday, and you are moving even now, and we will not forget, Lord, you are faithful, you're not finished yet, there's more to come, and we'll keep pressing on, and this will be our song, and we will not forget, through the valleys we have walked, and up the mountains we have climbed, over giants we have won, all with Jesus by our side. So whatever comes our way, give us courage to believe that what you started yesterday, you are faithful to You're not finished yet, there's more to come, and we'll keep pressing on, and this will be our song, and we will not forget, and by the power of your blood, by the story of your love, we will overcome. 
by the story of your love we will overcome by the power of your blood by the story of your love we will overcome oh by the power of your blood by the story of your love we will overcome yes we will overcome and we will not forget lord you are faithful you're not finished yet there's more to come and we'll keep pressing on and this will be our song and we will not forget oh we will not forget Lord you are faithful you're not finished yet there's more to come and we'll keep pressing on and this will be our song and we will not forget and by the power of your blood by the story of your love we will overcome oh by the power of your blood by the story of your love we will overcome by the power of your blood by the story of your love we will overcome oh by the power of your blood by the story of your love we will overcome yes we will overcome and we will not forget lord you are faithful you're not finished yet there's more to come and we'll keep pressing on and this will be our song and we will not forget the lord is my shepherd i have all that i need He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely, your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. We are resting in the work you have done.
There is nothing that you live undone. You opened our world to the presence of our God. Welcomed here as worthy because of the cross. We cannot walk away. Here's where we want to stay. Singing blessing and honor. Glory and power forever to our God. He has wiped away the stain of all our sin and shame, and He's asked us to come and rest, oh, rest in our God. Salvation's completed for him and him alone. For when he had finished, he sat down on his throne to reign forevermore.
forever to our God. He has wiped away the stain of all our sin and shame, and He's asked us to come and rest, oh, rest, and rest, oh, rest in our God. Oh, God, that's our prayer. This morning, Lord, as we sing of your sovereignty and God, as we walk through this world right now, wrestling with that idea of you're you're both sovereign and good and, and what's going on, and God, I ask that you just help us to rest. God, that we'd rest in the fact that you are our Lord, you're our shepherd, and you are guiding us. And even when stuff doesn't make sense, even when the world seems crazy and chaotic, Lord, we know that our sin problem has been taken care of. And for that, Lord, we can rest. For that, Lord, we can rest in you knowing that we don't have to try to earn your favor. We don't have to try to earn our salvation, Lord. We can rest in that, and then we can just, we can turn that out and look outward to those around us. And, Lord, how can we, how can we share your goodness? How can we share this great news? So, God, I ask, Lord, that for every believer who is either here this morning, uh, everyone who is watching right now or maybe later on, Lord, we ask, Lord, that your spirit that is in each and every one of us would just, well up inside of us, and just remind us, Lord, remind us, Lord, that it is well, God, that we have, we have our eternity taken care of, the sin problem has been erased, Lord, that we are standing in your presence, Lord, worthy, we are standing in your presence, holy as your kids, Lord. God, let us rest in that. And oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, and I see the stars, and I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe display. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. And how great Thou Oh, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. And how great Thou art. Oh, how great Thou art. God, His Son, not sparing, sent Him to die. I scarce can take it in, that on the cross. 
save each other You should have seen it in color Yeah, a picture's worth a thousand words But you can't see what those shades of gray keep covered You should have seen it in certain that we're the only church in the country this morning that played Jamie Johnson uh, as an intro to the message. <laughs> Man, I love that song. When I moved to uh, East Texas, uh, Lori Randall, uh, who looks at me through very redneck eyes, was concerned that, I didn't, that, that I'm indoctrinated fairly quickly, and so she actually gave me a Jamie Johnson CD and said that she would let me have it as long as I promised never to out her. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I love that song. I have actually been waiting for about, man, 10 years to use that in a message uh, because it's so good. If you listen to that, I mean, we have all, we can all relate to this. We've all seen pictures of World War II. We love World War II movies, whether you like the romance side of it where a guy leaves for war and marries a woman real quick and comes back or the war side men to see the courage and everything uh, in those stories. Um. But man, to look at a picture in black and white versus color, we have no idea. I mean, we're living in a time right now where a lot of us, and I'm, I'm aware of it, and I'm, I'm not downplaying it, are scared. Some of you are maybe angry at God. Uh, what are you doing with my life? Um, but I just, that secular song we just listened to, um, talking about looking at black and white pictures of the stories that our grandparents tell us, and you can hear them saying, you think it sounds scary? You should have been there. You should have seen it in color. I, I, I could have titled this series, You Should Have Seen It in Color, because we're reading these stories of Jesus' life and the disciples following him, and we're, um, we're looking at it, and we think we figure it out, and we look at the disciples, and we're getting to know them because we're moving slowly but man, can you imagine having been there, seeing it in color, actually being there? Uh, there are so many parallels to where the disciples were hours before Jesus' arrest and where we are right now. Uh, I am having now daily conversations with people that last an hour to two that, sur that, that are different ways of asking, but they all surround, Pastor, do you think the Lord's return is near? Uh, hey, I've been reading, does the vaccine actually, is that the mark of the beast? Or is that chip that uh, uh, Jobs talked about that they want to put in our hands or for it, is that the mark of the beast? Is this, this has to be the end. Well, I just want to tell you that I'm only 53, and in my lifetime there's been at least five different occasions where, where the Christian community was sure that the Lord's return was at hand. And uh, what happens is, and I, and I want you to really think, this is not an attack because I'm part of the problem here, but when we start to get a little uncomfortable 
and we're not even that uncomfortable. Those of you who are home and trying to quarantine yourself so you don't get this disease or this virus, and, and I get it for the most part, we're doing that too. We're not eating out right now and all that stuff. We're buying, we're trying to support our local restaurants, so we're buying it. I'm not sure why it's better if you take it home, but, but we're, we're doing that. But the truth is we're trying to be smart but just because we're uncomfortable, I mean, my house has air conditioning. My, my backyard is like a park. I, I mowed it this week and I watered it. I mean, suffering to me and Julie and Anna is living in this gorgeous home. I have plenty of food in the fridge. I was able to, when we start, go buy up a bunch of cans of soup in case the world fell apart. So I guess I could live longer before I starved to death. But we, we've, we've got everything we need and now that things are weird and the media's freaky and you don't know who to believe on the right or the left, and it looks like some of us are, well, for sure half of us are going to be discouraged with the election this year because our person isn't going to win, we all of a sudden think the Lord's return is, uh, is nigh. And, and, and I can assure you that it's closer than it was an hour ago or yesterday. It's definitely closer. But you realize that people in India and Africa, in certain parts of Africa, as well as in, um, I don't know, China, they're burning their churches down. They're, they're, they're arresting them. They're trying to uh, unindoctrinate them. And this has been going on for dozens of years. It's very American of us to watch the potential downfall or disengagement with Christian morals in our country and all of a sudden decide now the Lord must return. It's very difficult. The question I'm getting mostly, and those of you who are calling, this is a fair question. This is a good question. But I wish we could just go back to when things were normal. And I know what you mean by that. We know what we mean by that. But I just want to be clear that that's a very white middle to upper class American perspective. I mean, if you were black in this country, when it started, you were most likely a slave. No matter how much they referred to God and how many quotes in Washington, D.C. And even if countries take over land, the indigenous people in the Americas were given treaties that were not followed through with by our government. And witches were burned at the stake in the northwest part of our country because Puritans said that they had heard rumors that they were witches. I mean, the truth is that as wonderful as this country is, it hasn't always been just and fair to everyone equally like heaven will be. It's just been good to you. That's how it was with the disciples. You've heard about the Romans over, overruling them and lording it over them from the birth of Jesus and the discontentment of the Jews. But the truth is that Jerusalem and the Hebrew nation had been very good to the Jewish people. They wanted to rule themselves and they had been promised in the prophets that a ruler would come. But please understand that, that life for the disciples was predictable and expected because they were sure that Jesus was going to establish a kingdom. And in the upper room, he tells them that he's going to die. Since the Mount of Transfiguration, he's told them that suffering's coming for him. And they are freaked out. Not because Jesus hasn't told them what's going to happen, but because they can't fashion their minds around it. 
including even the temple following. A couple weeks ago when we were studying together, a few weeks ago I showed you how Jesus is talking about that, that poor woman who's giving uh, as, from, her, from her very poor state to the Lord in the temple area, and he's talking about how wonderful she is. And what are the disciples looking at? They're looking around at the temple going, this place is awesome. And Jesus looks at them, looking at that, and he says, this is all coming down very soon. The temple, not one of these stones are going to be on top of each other. He was reminding them not to put their hope in this life, the things that they're comfortable with. And while they heard him, they didn't really understand and buy in. And now as they leave the upper room where they've had the last supper with Jesus and they've had a nice meal and they've had a weird conversation that started with Jesus washing their feet, by this point, three years into ministry with Jesus, they must have just felt like, whatever, he's weird. I mean, he, everything they expect him to do, he like turns it upside down. And he washes their feet and then he sits down at the table and tells them, what I just did you need to do for each other because I'm leaving. And then they start arguing among themselves over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And then Jesus starts talking about one of them being a traitor. And Judas gets up and leaves and nobody understands why he's leaving. And Jesus explains that rough times are ahead. And so I believe what's happened is the disciples have knots in their stomach kind of like you do right now. And maybe you don't have a 24-hour knot, but you're just unsettled at the world. And it's like, and, and I know you're feeling it because those of you who are in communication with me, which I'd love to hear from all of you, email me. Um, but it just feels like something's changed. Do you know what I mean? Something's changed. And it's more than COVID-19. Something feels like it's changed. And it feels like we're not going back. And we all just want normal. And that's code for I just want to be able to go and eat chips and salsa without worrying about COVID. And I just want to go to work and I want the stock market to rise. I just want it to work. And there's a gut feeling that in this political season, and maybe it's just the political season, but there is a feeling that we've gone past a point of no return as a country. And that's unsettling. And that's exactly, in black and white is what we look at it, but in color, that's exactly what the disciples were feeling. What the heck just happened? And in light of what Jesus keeps saying, what the heck is about to happen? And with that, we pick up our text. After the Passover meal in the upper room was over, Mark 14, verse 26. And we're going to do a lot of scripture today, so bear with me. They sang a hymn at the end of the Passover meal, and they went out to the Mount of Olives. On the way, so while they're traveling, Jesus has a conversation with them. And this morning's text is that conversation. On the way, Jesus told them, all of you are going to desert me. <laughs> How's that for a happy moment? For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised from the dead, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee, and I'm going to meet you there. I want you to think about in color. Try to put yourself there. Think about this Passover meal that's in Jerusalem and they love. And then they get up, the meal is over, Judas is still gone, but they're going to go to the, the Garden of Gethsemane, which they had been to before. They had prayed with Jesus many times there. That was not uncommon. What is uncommon is what Jesus is saying and what he just told them 
was that they were about to abandon them. But before he even says that, he says that the Father's going to strike me down. What? What do you mean the Father's going to strike you down? The Father is going to strike me down. And as a result, you're going to abandon me, all of you. But don't worry, I'm going to rise from the dead and then I'll meet you in Galilee. Even their upcoming sin, even abandoning him temporarily, won't separate them from God because they are truly his. What's the difference, and, and this was a question I got last week in our Bible study, and it's, I've been thinking about it all week. So what's the difference between a sinner that is going to hell and a sinner that is going to heaven? That was a question that I've been thinking about all week, and you see it here because we know that Judas does not get into the kingdom of God. He sins within these hours, and now you're going to have the disciples abandoning Jesus. Judas is a turncoat. The disciples are basically turning their back on Jesus, and Peter is a turncoat and denies that he knows him. So what's the difference between Judas and the disciples? The difference is Judas's answer when he finds out he's a sinner is to kill himself. When the disciples' answer was to run back to Jesus. You see, it's not about sinlessness. Paul says in Romans chapter 7 that even he struggled with sin. The difference between a saved sinner or a forgiven sinner and an unsaved sinner is that a sinner, a believer who sins, runs back to Jesus when God points out that they've sinned. And so this is a, this is a point at the beginning. I want to make clear to you, and this is going to upset you, some of you. But if you are living in a state of sin while claiming to be a believer and you have no interest in repenting when God has pointed out your sin, you have every right to question whether or not you're saved. Because walking an aisle, being baptized, does not save you. It is the Holy Spirit coming in. If you don't have the fruit of the Spirit's presence in your life, one is conviction, you have every right to question your salvation. Just because you are a member of Carpenter's Way Baptist Church or whatever church you attend does not make you saved. Just because you teach Sunday school, just because you're an elder, just because you preach. The difference between a preacher or a saved person and an unsaved person is not sinlessness. It is what happens when you find out you're sinning. That's the difference. The saved person doesn't stop sinning. They just run to Jesus. The unsaved person finds a million reasons doctrinally why they don't have to run back to Jesus. I believe in eternal security. Well, good for you. So does God. The question is, are you eternally secure? The danger of the modern church is we give mathematical equations on how to go from hell to heaven. Walk an aisle, pray a prayer, join a church. None of those things will be asked of you in the kingdom. The question is, do you have the Holy Spirit living within? And if you do, he will have an effect on your life. Back to our text. John 13, and like I said, I'm jumping around texts, a different New Testament, because I, I put them in order for the story. So they're talking, and Jesus had just told them as they're walking, I'm going to go ahead of you to Galilee, and I'm going to meet you there after you've left me, after you've denied me, after I'm raised from the dead because the Father has struck me down. John 13, 31, Jesus said, The time has come for the Son of Man to enter his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory, now I want you to picture they're walking. Try to find this in color like Jamie Johnson told us. Don't just look at black and white pictures. Try to picture this. They're walking and they're talking and Jesus just said, you're going to abandon me. And somewhere in this walk, they stop. And I'll show you how I know that in a few moments because it says Jesus is going to tell them, okay, let's get going again. So somewhere on the path to the Garden of Gethsemane, they stop. That tells me it's so intense that it's like, 
whoa, you, what? Somewhere in here, the disciples go, we're going to abandon you? Why would we do that? What are you talking about? You're going to die. So they stop, and Jesus continues. The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will give his own glory to the Son, and he will do so at once. Verse 33, dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you're going to search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Here it is. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, now you love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Wow, is that going to be a theme in next Sunday's message? When Jesus prays in John 17? But you've got to get this. This has to ingrain your brain. What is the one thing that proves to the world in our season of life that we are truly the children of God? Our love for each other. Boy, does that stand in opposition to the church I grew up in. The church I grew up in split over the music. It split over the color of the walls. It split over how the pastor preached. It split over the length of the pastor's preaching. It fought over drums. It fought over everything. We were anything but unified. But we had business meetings that allowed us to tell each other off. And then at the end, we sang a song and went out as if that was unity. This is the evidence of our salvation. Your love for one another, verse 35 says, will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So if you want to know how we can affect change in our culture and world, how we impact the world, it's by how we love each other. Verse 36, Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? He asked the question everybody's thinking. They're not listening to him talking about them loving each other. They're listening to him go, what? wait, what? Why? Because what's Peter think? Peter is sure that the kingdom of God is at hand. Remember last week in our study, we realized Jesus told them that I won't be drinking this wine or eating this bread with you until we come into my kingdom. So they're thinking, before Passover next year, he's going to be king and we're going to sit on his right and his left. That's what they were debating at the table, remember? Well, now Jesus is saying uh, he's leaving them. So Simon Peter asked the question that you and I would ask if we're there. Sir, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now. But don't worry, Pete, you're going to follow me later. <laughs> okay, well, I thought that was funny. I think it's funny because Peter has no idea what he's talking about. Jesus has been clear, I'm dying. But Peter goes, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, don't worry, you will. In fact, Peter, in about 20 years, you're going to hang upside down on a cross and then you'll join me. I mean, Jesus is talking about death, leaving, and Peter is talking about taking a hike with him. And Peter responds in verse 37. But why can't I come with you now, Lord? He asked. I am ready to die for you. Jesus answered, die for me? Die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times that you even know me. How would that have felt in color? Verse 31 of Luke 22. Jesus says it this way. He gives us more details. Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brother. Oh my gosh. Pay attention to this conversation between Jesus and Peter. Peter absolutely pushes back on Jesus like he does all, over and over again. I'm not going to deny you. I'm ready to die for you. And Jesus says, you're not even going to say you're my friend in a few hours. Actually, Look at the next two verses in Luke 22, 33 and 34. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you 
and even die with you. So he doubles down. He says it a second time. But Jesus said to Peter, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're not going to deny me once, but you're going to deny three times that you even know me. No, Mark 14, 31 says. Peter declared emphatically, absolutely not. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others went, us too. Yeah, us too. They all vowed the same. Despite what we think of Peter, and we all smile because we like Peter, and we see Peter in us, I actually believe he meant it. And I'm going to try to prove it to you in the next few weeks. In fact, I'll tell you where I'm going and why I believe it. Because in a minute, Jesus is going to tell them to take swords. For the NRA members of our flock, you're going to love that part. But Jesus is going to tell them to take a sword. And Peter takes one about that long. And he puts it in his cloak. And when they come to arrest Jesus, he pulls out his tiny sword. (laughs) More like a long knife. In front of the face of a whole legion of Roman warriors who all have swords and guns and bazookas and stuff like that. Peter actually meant that he was willing to die for the Lord. The problem with Peter isn't that he wasn't wanting to and willing. It's that he kept doing things in his own power. More on that in the coming weeks. But he means it. Listen, we have learned so much about these guys in our study of the disciples, especially Peter. And his grandiose claims And it's one huge grand statement by him. Lord, I'm ready to go to prison and I will never deny you. And the truth is, as much as I believe Peter was sincere in that commitment, and as much as I know that he was ready to die for Christ or at least be arrested, our Lord, knowing his future and the weakness of Peter's flesh, tells him the sad truth in exact detail. That he would, in fact, not only not die for him that day, but he would deny him and abandon him. But he would also repent, and they would have breakfast together a week later. I want to say something, my Christian friends. Again, the difference between a saved sinner and an unsaved sinner is repentance when we realize we've sinned again. Family, God does not expect perfection from his followers or his ministers. I could even make the case that sometimes God sets us up for failure, and I believe he does that with Peter. More on that in the coming weeks. But Jesus on the cross was not just paying for our pre-salvation sin. He's also paying for our post-salvation sin as well. If you are a child of God today, you have not outsinned his grace. In fact, you've already been forgiven for the things you haven't apologized for. 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful. He's faithful to what? Not to you, to his own promise to save you. And he's just. And he put your sin in Jesus on the cross. And you wear the righteousness of God even when you deny him. But when he points out to you that you're walking the wrong way, run back to him. Run back to him today, my friends. He is the only one that offers hope. Because as he said earlier in his conversations with the disciples, all the world can do is kill you, but I can give you eternal life. I know that sounds kind of dark, but only if you're living for this life. 
You see, you and I live for this life, and even the church teaches us how to live for this life. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus meant it when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will take care of themselves. He meant it when he said, seek first the kingdom of God. And now we have this great moment in history where we're all unnerved and weirded out. And he is telling us again, seek first my kingdom. What if God is not judging the world? He's refining the church through the COVID. What if the things going on in our country isn't a judgment, it's a blessing? What if it's the refiner's fire that pushes us back to say, what do I believe? And in whom do I believe? And how much do I believe him? Because Peter was willing to go to jail and die for Jesus. The problem was, that wasn't the plan for Peter at this time. And so Jesus not only doesn't let him die, he doesn't even let him defend him. And that bums him out. If you come to Jesus like Peter, in your own strength, you're going to find this depressing and his plan for you. Give your life to Jesus, my saved friend. Run to him. If you are living in your sin and you know you're living in a way that does not honor the Lord and you are not running and repenting immediately back to Jesus because of your sin, you should doubt your salvation. But I prayed, Pastor, not moved by that. In Acts, you're going to meet Simon the sorcerer who did, but he was not a follower of Jesus. He wanted the magic. More on that in our next study. Luke 22, we pick up the story in verse 35. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you out to preach the good news and you didn't have money, a traveler's bag, or an extra pair of sandals, did you need anything? No, sir, they replied. Verse 36. But now, take your money and your traveler's bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. What is the prophecy? He was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. Lord, look, they replied, completely missing the point. Now watch this. This is so East Texan. Ready? Lord, look, they replied, we have two swords among us. Is that enough? To which Jesus goes, yes, two is enough. Because this wasn't about an armory. Sorry, NRA. That's the verse they use. Jesus told the disciples to get swords so we should defend ourselves. That, that's fine. Jesus isn't telling them really to defend themselves. He is telling them that while they traveled with him, he protected them. And they were fine because there was a plan. Now that his, his life is ending, they're going to go out on their own. And the people aren't going to see them as friends. They're going to see them as foes. And so they would have to plan their trip. They would have to take food. They would have to collect money. And it wouldn't hurt to have a sword to defend yourself, which, by the way, the church is still doing to this day. We still follow these commands of Jesus. This is, this is instructions on how to prepare yourself for life and ministry outside of the physical presence of Jesus. This is instructive. You've got a plan. You've got to have money. And security isn't bad either. And that's why we have security at Carpenter's Way. It's not because we don't trust the Lord, but he's not physically here to stand between the bullets. We have it here because that's wisdom. And there's nothing wrong with while we're doing ministry outside of the circle of Jesus for us to be smart. And I would like to actually stretch that scripture and say that is why we are social distancing at Carpenter's Way. Because we all buckle our seatbelts. We, uh, we all don't drink rat poison uh, to try to heal the sore throat. That would be stupid. And we're trying to live wisely and thoughtfully while we wait for Jesus to come get us, while we do ministry. 
We got to be thoughtful. And that's what he's telling them here. I protected you. I was around you. But now it's going to get nasty. So, pre uh, so prepare. And of course, their question is the same with us. Do we need more than two swords, Lord? No, that'll be fine. John 14, verse 1. The walk continues. Don't let your hearts be troubled, boys. You trust in God. Trust in me. What does it mean to trust? You know. It's just not enough. We want a bigger sword. A louder gun. We want the right president. We, we, want, we want calmness. We want the church building filled. We want worship the way we like it. We want to go back to when we felt safe. I'm sorry, disciples. Those days are over. I'm leaving. Leaving, 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 leaving. I want to go with you. You can't go with me. I'll die first. No, you'll deny first. But don't worry. I'm even taking care of that, Pete. I'll see you in Galilee in a week. Do you see it in color? They're at the same place we are. Trusting the Lord. Well, what does it mean to trust in the Lord? I don't have a job. It means keep looking for a job and trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. I've got COVID. Trust in the Lord for COVID. I'm not getting better. Then go home. What? You're telling me to die? I'm telling you that you have everlasting life. Put your hope in God, not this life. And he knows their hearts are troubled. And I love this about Jesus because he's not yelling at them. And he's not, he's not angry. And he's not even disappointed at Peter. He knows who Peter is. Instead, he touches their emotions by saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust in me. Not be troubled, Lord. This is scary stuff going on. You're talking about leaving us. We can't even figure out who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And here is why Jesus tells them not to be troubled. Verse 2, look at this, you guys. Because in my Father's home, there's enough room for all of you. If this were not so, wouldn't I have told, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? I mean, I've already told you guys that. When everything's ready, don't worry, I'll come and get you so you can always be with me where I am. Oh my gosh, that wasn't satisfying to them. Why? Because they wanted to live. Jesus is talking about dying. He's telling them to put their hope in what comes next, not what comes now. He's telling them that I'm going to leave you and you're going to deny me and you're going to freak out and you're going to hide, but don't worry, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. And they're so busy going, no, we'll get bigger swords. We'll fight them. We can take Rome on with you. And he's going, no, 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 no. Don't be troubled though, guys. Obviously, you're not going to get it today. So don't be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. What? What does that mean? It means that in my father's house, I've got enough room for all of you. Your father's house, that's, that's not here. I have to die to get there. Yeah, you do. Isn't that what Jesus has been teaching us through this whole study? Put your hope there, not here. Seek first the kingdom of God and him. Don't seek this. Don't make life better. Yes, you can vote. But at the end of the day, America is not our country. Heaven is. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And our daddy is the king of kings. Put your hope in the king. Well, we can do both. No, you can't. No, you can't. 
Because humanity, life, your flesh will always win. It will always win. I cannot have Julie and a girlfriend. That will not work. Well, if I divide my time well, and Julie's okay with it, and, I mean, you can have both. No, you can't. Because a divided heart doesn't work. A divided heart doesn't work. And the problem with, with this is that even James warns us that we have divided hearts. That's why we, we listen to, we're listeners of the word, not doers of the word. This takes faith, and God is begging with the disciples, trust me. But Lord, we don't know why we have to trust you. I've told you, you don't get it, just trust me. And my friends in 2020, you can go back to prophetic teaching and you can study your favorite prophetic teacher, and you can listen to their pathetic messages, but it will not bring you hope. It will only freak you out and make you post more on Facebook about what's wrong with the church today and why more pastors aren't doing what they think they should do. It will make you dive into the flesh. And I want to say something to those of you who just got offended with what I said. If you believe that these things that you're saying are actually the mark of the beast, and the Antichrist is beginning to take control through the one world order, then what are you stopping? If this is prophecy, you can't stop prophecy. Do you think the disciples could have tied Jesus down to keep him from dying? What has happened to the church? Our blessed hope is God fulfilling the promises he's made to us. But we act like they're the worst thing ever. Yeah, but I don't want to be, I want a pre-trib rapture. Of course you want a pre-trib rapture. Actually, you want a pre-life rapture where there's no sickness and pain and suffering. You want it all. I'm sorry, you have been tasked with a price that will involve pain. Stop looking in the mirror. Stop being anxious. I can't help myself. That's because you're staring in the mirror. Stare at Jesus. Mark, Wilkie, I struggle with this with you. I, I wonder, you're, you're giving us faithful now, and I wonder how long can we keep doing this online with, without people stopping giving? I guess that's up to you. Trust me, Mark. I don't want to trust you, God. You've given me responsibilities, Lord, and if I don't understand how to take care of them and manipulate your flock into doing what they should do, how in the world am I going to shut up, Mark? Be quiet. Stop it. Now you know that in my head, these are the conversations that go on. I know. When everything's ready, verse 3 says, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way where I'm going I love that. Don't you love that? This is what life was like with Jesus, okay? And I'm going to have to really start moving quickly here because i got a lot of Scripture left. And we got to get through it all today. And of course, Thomas speaks up and said to Peter this time, no, we don't. No, we don't. We don't know, Lord. You say that we know, but we don't know. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I'm the way. I'm the truth and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. Wow, what a weird place for that verse. How's the context for that? He wasn't talking to the lost, he was talking to the saved. <laughs> How about that for contextualization? Why? Because we as saved constantly get freaked out. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do today? Follow me. Okay, besides following you, what do you want me to do? I, I want you to follow me. Okay, I got that. I'm following. I'll follow you to death. But in the meantime, before I'm dying, how do I follow you? Follow me. Okay, we keep going around and around, Jesus. Are you aware? You keep repeating yourself. 
I am the way, Mark. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Nobody gets to the Father but through me. I know we've cleared that. So we're followers of yours, and we're going to get to heaven. But what do we do in the meantime? Follow me. Like us, the disciples and Thomas are worried about location and direction. Jesus simply told them that the answer to every question that they would ask of how and what was him. Larry Brevard, a year, few years ago, taught me the most simple, powerful, biblical message that's impacted me almost more than any simple phrase, and that is you put your eyes on the back of the rabbi and you follow him. Well, what happens if I can't see him? Then look harder. He's there. And I know it sounds crazy, but I beg of you to listen to Jesus here. The real practical answer to all of our anxiety issues is trusting in Jesus even if there is a safe vaccine. Why? Why is that it? Because our goal is not a good life. Our goal is eternal life, to be with Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit in heaven, to be with them where they go. That's our goal, not this life. And even when they discover a safe vaccine for this pandemic that's 100% safe and 100% effective, if they figure it out, there will be cancer that kills us. And even if your president is elected in November, there will be another election four years from now that will be the most devastating election in the history of our country. That whoever gets elected, they're going to change the course of our country and we need to fix it. I'm so tired of every election being the election of our lifetime. Are you tired of it? Everyone, they say that. And even if we survive, by some crazy chance, we survive COVID-19 and the election, there will be more trouble to come in this life. The only answer for peace in this life, for purpose, is to put all of our hope, all of our goals in him, in Jesus, because he is, in fact, the way, the truth, and the life. And we can get to the Father only through him. And when he comes back for us, we will never, ever be without him again, ever. That is our hope. Our hope is not comfort. Our hope is not a better life. Our hope is not safety for our children. And our hope is not a Democrat republic of this country. Our hope is in Jesus Christ's return and going to be with him. That's our hope. Do not put your hope in a garment bag, a sword, money, or even a great republic of Texas. Put it in Jesus. Just a sidebar. There is a Christian movement right now to have a gathering in Washington, D.C. in the next few months that's called a sacred assembly. And I've already had some people email me about it and ask if we're going to be involved. The answer is no. Because the call is to repent of our sin based upon 2 Chronicles 7.14 so that America can be saved. And that is not the purpose of repentance. The purpose of repentance is not to save America. The purpose of repentance is to save you and me. And I'm not going to gather my people to pray over an American flag. We will gather to pray over the souls of the people of America. And I know that that sounds like I'm drawing straws or separating straws. I'm all for praying for this country. But I will not gather with an angry lot to try to bring America back to something that until they admit that it wasn't what they said in the first place. And the truth is, even if this country falls, we're fine. We're not rich. My air conditioning may be removed. I may not be comfortable, but it's only a matter of time until I'm home. 
Put your hope in God because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's the only way to the Father. And our goal is not air conditioning and nice cars. Our goal is Jesus, unless it's not. Verse 8, Jesus told them, I am the way. Okay, here we go. Buckle your seatbelts. I'm going west coast fast. Jesus told him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. That's code for all we need is a little bit more evidence. Boy, if this is, everybody asked Jesus for a little bit more so that they can trust him a little bit more. All we need is another piece of proof. Show us the Father, and that's all we need. We'll be satisfied. Verse 9, Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who's seen me, Philip, has seen the Father. There's that Trinity thing again. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does the works through me. Verse 11, just believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me, or at least believes because of the work you've seen me do. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I'll do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I'll do it. Whoa, here we go. This is where Mark turns Pentecostal, right? Wrong. Couple things. Number one, when Jesus refers to greater works, that they would do greater works than him, or we could do greater works than Jesus, it is not a promise that they will be able to resurrect more people from the dead or heal more sick than he did. Our next study from Acts, you'll see exactly what Jesus was talking about. The fact is that while Jesus did the supernatural, including raising the dead, there were only 120 in the upper room of Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus' followers at Pentecost. That very Pentecost day, though, there are at least 5,000 people that get saved because of Peter's testimony. You know, Peter the denier. But Peter, inhabited by the Holy Spirit, led thousands of people to become followers of Jesus, and Jesus didn't even do that. That's what he meant by greater. Because to Jesus, you going from blind to see, lame to walk, dead to alive, isn't the goal. The goal is to be intimate with God. And so when he says to them, you're going to do greater things than me, if you're self-centered in modern Christendom, you go, I can heal the sick. I can make the blind see. I can make the dead to walk. I can do all these things. And if I pray anything in Jesus' name, which is the second problem, in Jesus' name in Jewish culture obviously meant in agreement with me. It's in agreement with me. So, and I'll give you some examples of this. How do I know? How do I know that, uh, that, that praying in Jesus' name is not a key to, to invoking the power of God, Oral Roberts says, to, making, to getting your miracle, TBN continually says. It's not about manipulating the divine in order to get your miracle. It means in agreement with God's will, not what Bethel Church did in California in recent weeks by declaring in Jesus' name that racism is gone from the world. It didn't, disappoint, it didn't disappear. They said that in Jesus' name, we demand that racism be gone. Racism isn't gone. Therefore, it doesn't work. And it isn't just them, but Kenneth Copeland in recent weeks got his elders around him and they videotaped, or they videotaped, they recorded themselves demanding in Jesus' name that COVID-19 disappear. This was about two months ago. And he blew, 
He demanded the winds from heaven and the fires from hell destroy COVID-19, and he blew. And all of his men repeated every word he said. It was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. And guess what? We have people in our church that got COVID this week. It didn't work. So they can say every day that if you do ask anything in Jesus' name, he'll give it to you. That's bullpucky. It's a lie. It don't work. And how do I know it doesn't work? Because I prayed for things in Jesus' name. And it doesn't work. And I was sincere. And I had the faith of a mustard seed, but I had faith, and the mountain didn't move. Do you know why people who claim and sing songs, Pentecostals, that you can move the mountain with just a mustard seed of faith, do you know why they still have to hire excavation companies? Because it don't work. And it's okay to use your brain. In fact, I think the best example of praying something in Jesus' name is Jesus' prayer himself. You remember in the garden, he prayed that the Father would remove the cup of suffering. Father, take this cup of suffering for me. But he ended it by praying in God's name. But not my will be done, yours. And you know what the Father said to what Jesus prayed for? No, son, I've got a plan, and it's going to kill you. You see, this idea that it's all about you is satanic. Health and wealth doctrine isn't just a different idea. It's a satanic idea. It puts, it puts your eyes on you instead of Jesus. The church should be bowing at the feet of Jesus going, I surrender. And what we're doing is going, we've got it figured out. We will die for you. We'll go to jail. We'll do this and this and this in your name. And God's going, I don't need you to do anything in my name. I just want you to trust me. Follow me. John 14, 15. I've got to keep moving here. If you love me, Obey my commandments. Okay, buckle your seatbelt. This is one that we Baptists get scared of because you don't, we don't believe in a work salvation, right? And this verse makes us nervous, but of course it's always taken out of its context. What do you want from me, Lord, and I'll do it? Well, verse 16 explains it. And by the way, I will ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit I'm talking about, who, by the way, leads in all, into all truth. In other words... When Jesus says, obey my commandments, he's saying, do what I tell you to do, right? That's not complicated. Agreed? Do what I tell you to do. Well, how do you know what he wants you to do? Well, it must be the Old Testament. No, because we have been freed from the law according to Romans 3. So what are his commandments? Well, he clearly said, love each other. But the other thing is, is I don't know what his commandments for me are today. I don't know what he wants me to do at three o'clock this afternoon. Well, then how do you know? Because I've got the Holy Spirit living within me, guiding me and directing me. And some things he asked me to do, I don't want to do. I go to Walmart, I want to run in, I want to get some, some milk, and I, even with a mask on, people recognize me, and I, I sit there and for 20 minutes, and all of a sudden I'm late. My plans are ruined, but God wanted me to have that moment with them. The truth is, to obey God is just to follow his lead, and you have the Holy Spirit living with you, that's what he's promising. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you an advocate. He will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Verse 17, now the world can't receive him, the Holy Spirit, because it isn't looking for him and it doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later he's going to live in you. Here, Robert, here's kind of an explanation of a theology you and I have talked about. Remember early in the ministry of the disciples, Jesus breathed on them and said they received the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't say that he entered them. This tells us that while the Holy Spirit was around them, guiding them and directing them in their ministry with Jesus for three years, soon at the day of Pentecost, he says that while he is with you now, later he'll be in you. 
you realize, brothers and sisters, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, not the church, right? Not the local church. Too often in the last hundred years, what we've done to lead people to Christ is we brought them to church because you need to hear our pastor and our music is rocking. You got to do that. You're going to sense God. Well, Jesus here says, I'm going to be in you. The temple of the Holy Spirit is you. So ladies and gentlemen, when you teach at Lovekin High School, you teach at the middle school, you go to Hudson, the temple of the Holy Spirit is in there, is you. You, you, don't, you don't need to bring them to church. You're bringing church to them. You're bringing God to them. You are the temple of God. Verse 18, no, I'm not going to abandon you orphans. I'll come to you. I love that. You're not orphans here. You're not alone. Are you scared and afraid? You're not alone. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. What? The Trinity, another place. So Jesus and the Holy Spirit are inside of us, guiding and directing us. Verse 21, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. All right, here you go. Well, I got saved in VBS when I was 10. So I'm a Christian, right? Not if you don't follow him. I'm sorry, but this is what the text says. The difference between a saved person and unsaved isn't sinlessness, it's obedience. So if my brother or sister or my friend who's watching on the internet, if you haven't donned the door of the church for 25 years and you are living in a blatant sinful life and you continue to feed your flesh when you know you shouldn't be, what makes you think you're saved? Run to Jesus. If you hate his family, how can you love him? Run to Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. Not your ability to take verses out of context and, and doctrinalize them. Brothers and sisters, obey him. Well, what does he want from me? Well, what he wants from you is different than what he wants from me. Well, how do I know what he wants? Get on your knees today, lift your hands, and give up. And listen, he'll talk to you. He will. You won't like everything he says, but he'll talk to you. The difference between a lost person and a saved person is not whether or not they sin, but what they do when they realize they've sinned. Verse 21, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. And remember, we're on a walk to the Garden of Gethsemane here. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name said to Jesus, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and, uh, and will, oh, messing up here. And we will come and take our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I've told you. Wow. I thought the Holy Spirit was the one who directed worship and the one who convicted unsaved people of sin. Now all of a sudden you know he's the most important member of the Trinity in your Christian life now. I am leaving with you with a gift, verse 27 says. What's the gift? Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Well, why not, Jesus? Why shouldn't I be troubled or afraid? It's scary down here. Well, here's why. Verse 28. Remember what I told you. I am going away, but I'll come back to you again. You get a sense of where Jesus wants the disciples to put their hope? In his return, in his being with us again. If you really love me, you'd be happy that I'm going to the Father who is greater than I am. And I have told you these things before they happen, so that when they do happen, you'll believe. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of the world approaches, but he has no power over me. Why does he say that? Because it's going to look like in a few hours that Satan wins. 
For those of you who think Satan is winning in the church today, you're just blind. You're blind to what God is doing. Satan is not winning. He can't win. He's already lost. Verse 31, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come on, boys, let's get going. So they start walking again. Chapter 15, bear with me, I'm going to read fast. I'll be done in five minutes. I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they'll produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you can ask for anything you want, and it'll be granted. Here we go again. But my words have to remain in you. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great joy to my Father. So it's important to note that he says remaining in him and being fruitful are not how you get salvation, but it's the evidence that you are saved. If you are listening this morning and you see no fruit of the Spirit's presence in your life, love, joy, peace, patience, guidance, goodness, then your afternoon is laid out for you. Get on your knees. Find out why. Talk to Him. Give your life to Christ. You don't have to rejoin the church. You don't have to, you don't have to genuflect. You don't have to be rebaptized. Re Deal with Jesus. Verse 9 of, of uh, chapter 15 of John. I loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than one who lays down his life for his friends. And you're my friends if you do what I command. You get a theme? Well, how do I know what He commands? Holy Spirit guides you and directs you, seeking His direction for your life. I no longer call you slaves, verse 15 says, because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. <clears throat> now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father told me. And I'm going to tell you one more thing, Jesus says. Here's a secret. Verse 16, you didn't choose me. I chose you. What? Jesus' words. I appointed you to produce lasting fruit. Now you know what your task is. You've been called out in 2020 for this purpose so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than his master. Since they persecuted me naturally, they're going to persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they'd listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I had done such miraculous signs among them that nobody else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in Scripture. They hated me without cause, but I will send you an advocate, the Spirit of truth, verse 26 says, and he will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must testify about me as well, because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. Verse 16, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. Now you know. For you will be expelled from the synagogues, and a time is coming when, not if, 
But when, those who kill you would think they were doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you'll remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a little while longer. But now I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it's best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is not homosexuality, murder, lying, thieving, hate. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Here's my question. Does the church believe in Jesus? Or do we believe in politics, in power? Righteousness is available because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. I, I just, I know, I know, I'm, I promise, I'm almost done. I want to finish 16. But I want to be clear on something. Satan, Lucifer, the liar, he's a loser. You, you may feel like he's winning and the disciples are going to feel that, but he not only won't win, he can't win. He is a lying piece of crap. And he has the church strung up. Rise up, church, and follow Jesus. Stop believing your flesh. Satan is a liar. A liar. He is a losing liar. He is an angel that's more powerful than me, but he can't touch our Father. Be strong in the victory that's already been won. Stop giving Satan respect he doesn't earn. Just walk away. Resist him. Okay, that was important. Verse 12. There's so much more I want to tell you, Jesus says, but you can't bear it now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He will speak on his own, but I'll tell you, uh, uh, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you more about the future. He will bring glory by telling uh, whatever he receives from me. And all that belongs to the Father, uh, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will give you whatever he receives from me. In a little while, you're not going to see me anymore, but in a little while after that, you will see me again. He's talking about his death, resurrection, see him for a little while, and then no more. Some of the disciples asked each other, what does he mean when he says a little while, you won't see me, but then you will see me, and I'm going to the Father. And what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. Boy, you think you don't understand what tomorrow holds for you, Christian? You should have seen it in color with these guys. You should have seen it in color. Sorry, Jamie Johnson. I mean, seriously, do you realize how perplexed and confused and overwhelmed they are? They're like, we put all our hope in you. Peter's thinking, I've given up my, my boats. I don't even have a stinking net left. And I followed you and you're bailing on us. They must have been so whatever. <laughs> Jesus realized that they wanted to ask him about it. Verse 19 says, so he said, are you asking yourselves what I meant? In a little while, you won't see me, but a little while after that, you will see me again. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn into wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and nobody will rob you of that joy. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I will tell you the truth. You will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. I have spoken these matters in figures of speech, but soon I will stop speaking figuratively. 
and will tell you plainly about the Father. Then you will ask in my name. I'm not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me and because I came from God. Yes, I come from the Father into the world, and now I will leave the world and return to the Father. Then the disciples said, at last you're speaking. <laughs> I love this. Oh, we get that. At least you're speaking, at last you're speaking plainly, not figuratively. You think they were perplexed and frustrated? Now we understand that you know everything, and there's no need to question you, for we believe that you came from God. And Jesus said, finally you believe? <laughs> okay, that cracks me up. It's like, woo, after three years, Jesus is frustrated with them, they're frustrated with him. Finally? But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when you will be scattered, each going his own way, leaving me alone, yet I am not alone because my Father's with me. I have told you all of this, this walk, so that you will have peace in me. Here on earth, you're going to have trials and sorrows, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So what's the point, preacher? You went four chapters of the Gospel of John. It's not hard. Psalm 34 and 5. Sing to the Lord, all you godly ones, and praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping will last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Hey, you guys, we're going home soon. Until then, it's going to hurt. So buck up, believers. Christianity is not for the weak of heart. It's not for the faint. It's not a way out of trouble. It's a way through the trouble. And hope. God's coming back for you. Make sure that you're ready for him to come back. Lord Jesus, I thank you that we have a scripture, Lord, that shows us the disciples felt in their time with you exactly how we feel in this time that feels like without you. And so your comments to them are your comments to us. So make us people of truth and hope through the power of the Holy Spirit, God. May your Holy Spirit guide us and direct us and lead us. And for those that are struggling, and a lot of us are, I pray that today they would get on their knees somewhere or take a walk with you and surrender every area of their life, especially the scary ones, to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a wonderful Sunday, everybody.